Hello, I'm Katie Sewell. I live in Seattle. My co-host, Tiffany Parks, lives in Rome, Italy. Support for The Bittersweet Life comes from our listeners. This week, I'd like to thank Teresa and Craig. Thank you so much for jumping on Patreon. I hope you enjoy those bonus episodes. There's a whole bunch of them waiting for you. If you're interested, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash thebittersweetlifepodcast. If you love the show, please send in your financial gift today. Just like you buy a movie online or pay for public radio, pay for the podcasts that you love as well. There are links in the show notes. Support the small things that you love. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And we have made it to the very last week of 2020. Incredibly okay. so. I can't even believe it. <laughs> it is, seems like a miracle. It does. It does. And to celebrate today, we are going to revisit our most popular episode of the year. Yay. Which actually surprised me which one it was. It was our virtual tour of Rome, which, of course, was through Tiffany's amazing knowledge of Roman history and my amazing knowledge of how to play with the theater of the mind by coming up with sound effects, we managed to recreate a walking tour of Rome while we were all stuck at home for COVID-19. Yeah, I got comments from people, I'm sure you did as well, saying, oh, wait, this, I thought this actually was taped on the streets of Rome. They actually felt it was so realistic that they thought that we had taped it on the streets of Rome. So that is a huge uh, testament to you, Katie. And and you. And I also heard from someone else who said, oh, I thought that that was a best of episode. Ah. And it indicates the same thing. They thought we were both in Rome together. But no, it's all fake. It's Tiffany and me sitting in our apartments pretending to walk the streets. Yeah. Across the world from each other, too. Yes. Yeah, it was definitely one of the, I think, one of the most fun episodes to, to make, although I didn't do the hard work. But I thought it was very fun to, to record, and it was even more fun to listen to after you had finished it. Personally, my favorite episode of the year was our Day in the Life episode. Listeners from all over the world sent in their dispatches of what was going on in their lives in April of 2020. Yeah, that was nice. So thank you, everybody who wrote in for that. But before we kick off this best of favorite episode of the year, we just wanted to give a few thank yous to people who really helped us out this year. Tiffany, you want to get us started? Yes. Starting first and foremost with Drew Atkins. Uh, he helped us redesign our website this year. It is a huge improvement uh, over what we had before. And probably a lot more work than Drew expected when he so gallantly offered to uh, to help us out with it. So thank you so much, Drew, for your incredible patience and support on this. So visit thebittersweetlife.net to check it out. Yes. I want to thank Jody Rick. Jody runs the Lost Laboratory in Seattle. She's also a friend of ours from childhood. And she is the designer of our logo, and she did a lot of work this year helping me design a new logo for our bonus episodes over on Patreon, and she also helped us design all of the logos that appear at our merch store. 
which you can find by visiting our website, thebittersweetlife.net. So she did all that work. Thanks, Jody. Yeah, check that out if you haven't yet. Thank you, Jody. Also, thanks to Paul Secord, who helped us create a video advertisement for the show that's going to be played at a future date. It's something that we could never have done without his help. Um, as brilliant as Katie is with audio, uh, she does not have <laughs> the same skills on video, and of course, neither do I. So um, Paul took my shaky, very amateur videos of Rome, and he transformed them into something really, really great. Yes. So thank you so much for that, Paul. Thank you, Paul. And I also want to thank Riley Morton, who gave us the opportunity to advertise on this new streaming platform that's going to happen, which we will talk about when it's actually launched, but that's what this video is for. I also want to thank Mike Shaw, who offered to advertise for us for free in his Bali newsletter, a great newsletter that gives people, expats living in Bali, the news of the day that they need to know. So if you are living in Bali and you feel like you need some updates on what's going on around you, we will put a link in the show notes so you can sign up for that. Yes. Thank you also to Lori Lee Elliott. Uh, she helps us out with our fledgling YouTube channel. Before you say, you guys have a YouTube channel? Uh, there's no video on the YouTube channel. <laughs> it's just the same episodes that we put out on you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, what have you. It's the same content that you guys get. It's just on YouTube, which we have been told is uh, just another way to reach people. So um, Lori Lee takes care of that for us. For that, we are very grateful. Thank you, Lori Lee. Although I do believe if you go on YouTube and you search for The Bittersweet Life, you will find Tiffany and me doing a live performance at Town Hall in Seattle. That's true. If you've been curious about what we look like, <laughs> <laughs> or if like one of our listeners wrote to me and said, wait a minute, you're not the blonde one? No way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm the dark haired one. Yes. Okay. And thank you most of all to all of those of you who donated to keep this show going this year. And a huge hooray to those of you who have reviewed the show on Apple Podcasts and spread the word to your friends and family. We appreciate it so much. You are literally the people that have kept this show going. Yes. And please, if you have not, I, I hate to beg for reviews. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> beg away. No, you know, a lot of people are like, I would really love to support your show, but I just don't have the money right now. And we totally get that because it's been a crazy year. But one thing that costs nothing is to review the show. So um, it really does help a lot. And I go through the reviews often uh, because I like to post them on our social media. And we haven't had a review in like three months. <laughs> so, so guys, I know a lot of you have reviewed, but for those of you who haven't, take five minutes and, uh, and go on Apple Podcasts and review the show. Thank you so much for that. By the way, one note on that is that every time I encounter a review that I have not seen before, yes, it makes me feel like I'm doing this for a reason. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Because mm -hmm. sometimes we sit there and we go, why are we making this? It's so much work. <laughs> and really the reviews remind me, oh, that's why. Yeah, That's why. It really is true. A special thanks as well to everyone who wrote to us with advice, with compliments, with your personal stories. Those of you who responded to some of the calls that we put out for, you know, your day in the life or your silver linings. We love incorporating your thoughts, whether they be recorded or written out. We love adding those to the show because, you know, we really do feel like our listeners are part of our show. So thank you for everyone who has done that. And we look forward to hearing more from you next year. And 
with that, let's kick off this favorite show of the year. And uh, I mean, we're all in the coma from the holidays, right? So we might as well lay on our backs and pretend that we're walking in Rome. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And I am currently in Seattle, and Tiffany is currently in her apartment in the outskirts of Rome. But today, we're going on a journey. (laughs) We're going to go on a virtual walking tour of Rome. Yeah, we're going to do what both Katie and I have been dreaming of doing this entire lockdown, which is explore Rome, because we can't right now. Right. So through the magic of radio, we are going to go on a journey together through the streets of Rome. And Tiffany, I was thinking, since we're creating this journey as if it's it's just sprung from the well of your historical knowledge and my mixing of sound effects, we could set this at any time we want. Like, for instance, we could set it at Christmas time. Yes, Christmas time is a magical time to be in Rome, but I think we should set it right now in April because April is such a beautiful time to be in Rome, particularly because of the wisteria, which is one of the most beautiful flowers that you can see around Rome, and they always bloom in April. All right, so should we start in the subway tunnel? No, no, no. Let's uh, let's start right in the center of it all. Let's start at the Pantheon. So here we are, right outside the Pantheon. Ah, light crowds, beautiful day. There's nothing really like seeing the Pantheon, especially when you see it for the first time. Whenever I take people on a tour, I always walk around the corner, um, down a side street, and approach the Pantheon around sort of a blind angle so it just looms in front of you because it's really quite big as you can see Katie right in front of you yes it's in a relatively you know this square we're standing in is relatively small compared to this enormous towering monument and of course the Pantheon as many people know is the best preserved ancient monument in the world it was uh, completed in 126 AD wow. so really we're coming up on 1900 years of course, there were other versions of the Pantheon, at least two that sat at the same spot but burned down. Uh, in fact, the inscription that you can read, you see that inscription up there? Yeah, yeah. It reads M. Agrippa L.C. Cos Tertium Fecit, which basically means Marcus Agrippa, the son of Lucius, during his third time as consul, made this. But of course, Marcus Agrippa wasn't alive in 126 when this was built. He built the first Pantheon back in the time of Augustus, around 17 BC. But Emperor Hadrian, who built this version, the permanent version of the Pantheon, decided to maintain Agrippa's inscription 
out of respect and honor to him. It's a church now, but what was it originally? Yeah, well, originally the word pantheon, in fact, means temple to all gods. So it was a temple to multiple gods. And it is unusual because it is completely round, of course. And let's, hey, let's step inside. Now these doors right here are the original bronze doors of the Pantheon. And it's great because you can just sort of touch them as you walk in and sort of feel the history within them. But look up at the Oculus. Mm-hmm. That is really what people love about the Pantheon. I mean, just the ceiling, the dome and the ceiling all together. I mean, the ceiling is coffered. It's made of concrete. You know, the, the concrete was one of the great Roman inventions. And the coffered ceiling is it's so iconic that it, it's been copied and used in so many other places, most famously probably for Americans in the U.S. Capitol building in Washington, D.C., is a copy of the ceiling of the Pantheon. But of course here, the oculus, the central hole is open. There's just a big open hole there and the light shines down. And you can see, I don't know if you can tell, but right now it's, it's really shining straight out the door. And that's because the day that we're taping this is actually, I don't know if you know this, Katie, the day we're taping this it, a couple days before air is April 21st. It's Rome's birthday today. Did you know that? I did. 2,773 years old. Yep. Is that right? That is exactly right. Good for you. And uh, the interesting thing is that if you go to the Pantheon on this date, which I always tried to do. And we're here now. Yeah, we're here now. And the sun shines straight out the doors on that particular day if you go around the middle of the day as we are right now. So is that why the birthday is that day? Or is that just a coincidence? No, I think that some people think that when they designed the Pantheon, they designed it in such a way that that would happen on the birthday of the city. That's amazing. I know, isn't it? It is really, really one of the most incredible buildings. And in fact, if you only had 15 minutes to spend in Rome, that would be the one building I would force everyone to go see. Yeah, I totally agree. Very, very true. Yeah, it's just as beautiful from the outside as from the inside. I mean, I feel like it's one of those places. Do go in if you can, but even if you can't go in, it, it's something. It's worth it just to see from the outside, just because when do you see something so old, so perfectly maintained? And, and the reason, as you mentioned, it is a church now, and that's one of the reasons why it's in such great condition was because it was converted into a church in the darkest of the dark ages, you know, in, in I think 609 AD, in a time when temples were just being ransacked for their materials in Rome. And so it, because it became a church at that time, it was sort of off limits and it was maintained. I could go on for the whole length of our little tour just talking about the Pantheon, but we don't have time for that. But I will just say, look over there on the left and you can see through a plate of glass, Raphael's tomb. Raphael, of course, died this month 500 years ago yes yes sadly so yeah and one of the things i also love about the pantheon for anybody who's been there or anyone who's planning to be there or is there with us right now actually is that so many artists so many architects so many thinkers so many notable people all around the world have stood in front of that building and been inspired by it and it really does feel to me like one of the links back through time for all of us how many of us have stood in front of that building and been inspired in some way? It's, it's countless hordes of people by this time. It is true. Whew, all this talk, I really feel like 
We should move on before I get too moved. All right, let's move on. <laughs> Do you need some refreshment? Should we stop and get a coffee? I would love that. That would be great. Coincidentally, as luck would have it, we have one of Rome's very best cafes just around the corner. Um, so let's see if it's open. Okay. Yeah, this is Cafe Sant'Estacchio in the piazza of the same name. And I mean, of course, there's going to be some like super niche coffee snobs who are going to have their own particular favorite. But I would say the majority of Romans consider either this cafe or Tazzadoro to be the best coffee in Rome. I'm not a coffee drinker or coffee expert myself, so I can't make judgment. I can just tell you what most people say. But I do think the smell of this place is amazing. And when you walk inside, it just... If you like the smell of coffee, it's pretty incredible. Now, you can see everybody's standing up um, at the counter. I mean, there are some tables outside for the tourists, but the Italians who come here, a lot of business people come here during the day on their coffee break. The parliament is just around the corner, so sometimes you'll see some famous Italian politicians in here. They always stand up at the bar to get their coffee. And as you can see, it's packed. Like, you can't really... It's hard to get up to the front of the line. You have to elbow your way up there. But despite its fame, the coffee is very well-priced. An espresso is around a euro, so they have not taken advantage of their fame. As a tourist here, standing at the edge of this cafe, slightly intimidated by all these dudes, Yeah. what etiquette should I follow here? Should I barge in, or should I just sort of let this be a local place? I mean, maybe you should let it be a local place, but it's become touristy, so people who go there probably know they're going to encounter tourists so they're prepared for it just make sure you pay first you know because so many people come in they, they prefer if you pay first the cash register is over there on the right pay for what you want and then take your receipt up to the bar and i mean obviously don't push in front of people you wait your turn but people in italy don't really make organized lines so you just kind of look around you see who is there before you and when you feel like those people have been served you put your arm forward and you get your coffee if i want to be legit do i have to stand at the bar no sometimes you want to sit down and have your coffee there's nothing wrong with that i prefer that i mean i'm a tea drinker so of course i prefer sitting down there's nothing worse than having a pot of tea standing up at the bar of a cafe. It's like, <laughs> it's the worst. I always, I always get annoyed because whenever my husband and I go to get, you know, go to into a cafe together, he always gets an espresso or maybe a cappuccino and I always get a pot of tea, like a little tiny pot of tea. It's always tiny, it's like a cup and a half. But they always, without fail, will make my husband's coffee before they make the tea. And I'm like, don't you understand that my tea has to steep for at least a couple of minutes and he's gonna just down his. So they make his coffee, they set it down. He downs his coffee. Meanwhile, they're making my tea. They give him my tea and I have to stand there for five minutes while it steeps. And then I, you know, you don't drink tea quickly. Tea is a slow, it just, it's a total nightmare. So I usually just get water these days. <laughs> the one way you are at odds with this country. Well, let's move on to a place where you're not at odds, a place that is extremely beautiful and another one of the, the top hits. Yeah, okay. I guess you mean Piazza Navona? Yeah, let's go. Great. It's just around the corner. So Piazza Navona is, ah. yeah, I know you've been here before, Katie, but every time you come here, it, you can't help but be a little bit blown away by it. Even myself, after living here for 15 years, whenever I walk into Piazza Navona, I always take a minute just to look around because it's such a, is there even a word? It's a spectacle. It's spectacular. It really is. As a person who, who doesn't take as many photos and who wants to tape things all the time, I do have, it doesn't really fit our tour, but... Hey, it's the magic of radio. 
I do have a little bit of the sound of Piazza Navona at night. So let's just pretend that the sun sets really fast for a second. Okay. Okay, the sun's back <laughs> up again. I'm just curious why that has to be at night. Why does it have to be at night, that clip? Uh, I don't know. It just Maybe it doesn't. It just feels like it's at night. You can write in and tell us if we should have set that at night or not. <laughs> <laughs> it's day again. Wow, that was a fast night. Oh, look, Katie, it's noon on the dot right now. As you can hear the bells from Sant'Agnese in Agone. Now, it's kind of hard to know where to look first in this piazza because there's so much going on and there's so many beautiful things. Probably what's going to take your attention the most is the central fountain. This is by Bernini, John Lorenzo Bernini, the famous sculptor and architect. And there's actually a great story behind this fountain because the Pope at the time, Pope Innocent X, Innocent X came on the heels of Pope Urban VIII. And Urban VIII had been not only Bernini's patron and champion, but also a close friend of his. So he had gotten all the amazing projects and commissions all throughout Urban VIII's papacy. And he was just the favorite artist of the whole city. And when Innocent took over, he had been a rival of the, the previous pope. And so he didn't want to work with anyone that that pope had worked with. And so Bernini suddenly was out of fashion and he instead was working with couple of different architects, including Francesco Borromini, who's my personal favorite architect. And he was the great rival of Bernini. So suddenly, finally, Borromini gets to shine. And in fact, the central church that you can see here, this towering, gorgeous Baroque church is by uh, Francesco Borromini. It's called Sant'Agnese in Agone. But Pope Innocent decided he wanted to build a monumental fountain in this square, particularly because this is where he lived. You see that palace over there, that big white palace with the Brazilian flag hanging in front of it, mm -hmm. that was Pope Innocent X's palace. He wanted this square to be one of the most beautiful in the city because it was where he lived. So he's having the church built, but he also wants to build this beautiful fountain. Now, he sent out, not exactly commissions, but he sent out notices to the great artists of the time to submit their ideas and their designs for the new fountain and he was going to select which one he preferred. He on purpose did not invite Bernini to submit his ideas but there was a family member of his who knew what was going on who loved Bernini's work so he convinced Bernini to make a model of the fountain anyway and they put it in a place in the palace where the Pope would not be able to miss it and so when Pope Innocent saw a model of what Bernini had projected for this fountain he was completely gobsmacked by it. He fell instantly in love with it. And he was quoted by a contemporary historian as having said, he who desires not to use Bernini's designs must take care not to see them. They were so beautiful and they're so incredible that he could not resist using the artist that he did not want to work with, but he did anyway. And so, of course, Bernini designs the Fountain of the Four Rivers with these four enormous river gods. We have the god of the Nile, the god of the Ganges, the god of Rio de la Plata, and the god of the Danube, all decorated with different flora and fauna and objects from that their particular part of the world because they each represent the four corners of the globe. Uh, and, of course, the obelisk in the center, which is one of uh, the ancient Roman obelisks brought from Egypt. 
Wow. And isn't there a rumor that uh, there's a reason why the gods are all looking a little frightened and looking away from the church? There's one god, the god of the Rio de la Plata, river personification, who is sort of looking up towards the church with his hand sort of cowering. But, yeah, people say he was... They were working on these projects. These two rivals, Bernini and Borromini, were working on these projects at the same time. And Bernini wanted to make fun of Borromini, so he pretended that he was this figure was disgusted or afraid of the church, that it was going to fall on him. But the thing is, the fountain was made in 1651, and the church was not begun until 1652, and Francesco Borromini wasn't even named head architect until 1653. So it's highly, highly unlikely story. But I do love those little stories, even though they're often not true. I do like them. But that's one that I can debunk. Uh. The reason this square has such an unusual shape, which is a very, very long oval shape, it's curved on the north and flat on the south end, is because this site was once an ancient stadium for Olympic-style track and field races. There would have been stone columns all the way around and arches and there would also have been seating stone seating similar to what they had in the circus maximus it's like a miniature version of circus maximus much much smaller slowly over the years in the middle ages after much of the marble had been taken out people just used it to build their homes into and that's one of my favorite things about rome is how you can see the passage of time in one building or one site you can see what it looked like in ancient times even though it's instead of seeing a racetrack you're seeing the facades of homes it you can still see the shape of the racetrack so that's one of the things i love about rome yeah it is amazing but uh, let's move on and head down this side street to probably one of the loveliest churches in rome at least from the outside okay Ah. So, this is Via della Pace. At the end of this street is, well, I don't have to tell you what it is, Katie, because you're looking at it. I, it's amazing. <laughs> I've never been able to get into this church, to be honest with you. Yeah, Santa Maria della Pace. This church used to only be open on Saturday mornings. Uh, then it changed it and it was open on Saturday, Wednesday, and Friday mornings. But every time I've gone here recently... I mean, you know, before March 10th, <laughs> um, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's always been open. It's oh. always been open. So I think that they've just expanded the opening hours, which is great. There are some frescoes in here by Raphael that he painted in 1514, the Sibyls. I think the most interesting thing about them is how similar they are to Michelangelo's Sibyls in the Sistine Chapel, which would have been completed just two years earlier. But what I really love about this church is just the facade. The facade is not as old as the church itself. The church itself was built in the 1400s, but the facade is from the 1660s. It was designed by Pietro da Cortona, another great Baroque architect, a contemporary of Bernini and Borromini. I just love it because it has this semicircular porch, I guess you could call it, with these beautiful columns on in the front. And what I love about the columns is instead of making them perfectly symmetrical as they go across the front of the semicircle, he's he's moved the two on the right closer to each other and the two on the left closer to each other. So it creates this sort of unexpected element, which is really what the Baroque is all about. 
that unexpected sort of theatrical, bizarre element that makes something even more beautiful. I don't know if you know the, um, the origin of the word Baroque, but it comes for the word for an Italian teardrop-shaped pearl, which now that I think about it, I can't remember if it's Barocco or Barocca, but it's a, a teardrop-shaped pearl. So the idea being a pearl, a perfect pearl would be perfectly spherical. And you could think of like the Renaissance as being perfection, right? It's all about symmetry and perfection. Whereas the tear-shaped pearl is imperfect and it's exactly its imperfection that makes it so beautiful. Mm. So that's kind of the Baroque in a nutshell. And he really designed this on purpose to, be, to look like a theatrical set. A piece of art that you are participating in. You're not just looking at. And if you go to the left, you can see another doorway over there. That's the doorway to the Chiostro del Bramante. Should we take a look in there as well? Yeah, let's look in there. They have art exhibits in this space, and they're really great. So I always suggest people to go. They're kind of expensive, but it's just a really great exhibition space. But you can visit this cloister for free. You don't have to, to you know, you'll see a ticket booth on your left when you walk in. And you need to buy a ticket if you want to go to the exhibit, but you can still go in and look at the cloister for free if you want to. So you just walk past the ticket desk. And yeah, I mean, stepping inside here, you could really kind of feel a shift back in time, I believe. You know, the the facade of that church outside is so Baroque, and this cloister is really true renaissance in all of its symmetrical perfection you know the the cloister is perfectly square it has these two rows of porticos with columns this is by donato bramante who is one of the great renaissance architects to work in rome he wasn't from rome he was from urbino which is also where Raphael was from. Um, and we talked, I talked a little bit about a different one of his works on our mini episode called Tempietto. I can't remember off the top of my head what number that was, but it was one of my first ones I ever did. So you can go back and listen to that for a little more info about Bramante. But this was built, this cloister was built in 1500, and it was his first work in Rome. And it is considered sort of the apex of high Roman Renaissance architecture. And there's also a cafe on the upper floor, and it's kind of the most romantic cafe in Rome, I think, um, because you're in the middle of this little cloister, and the seats, if you look up there, you can see there's little seats that go all the way around the upper edge of the upper level, and so you can look down into the courtyard, you can look up above, because of course it's open, this, there's no roof on the top, you can look up at the buildings around you, and you just sit on these little ancient seats that are built into the side of the cloister, and it's just it's just totally romantic and cozy, and, and I love it. Ah, I can't believe I've never been in here before. You haven't? No, I never have, it's never been open. Not that I noticed anyway. I would say that you probably didn't notice. The cloister is almost always open because they have exhibits here. The church back when you lived in Rome was almost always closed, it's true. But the cloister is always open. You just, but you, it's a different door, so maybe you just didn't notice. Well, I'm glad I got to come today. That's great. All right. Well, well we're getting close to lunchtime, so where else should we go before we have to stop to eat somewhere? Okay, let's, uh, let's head down Via dell'Anima, which is the parallel of this street we were on, Via della Pace. And this will lead us to a little square at the base of Piazza Navona, right before you walk into Piazza Navona, called Piazza del Pasquino. So here is Pasquino, this kind of 
unimpressive statue. Kind of ugly, honestly. Kind of ugly. I mean, it's missing. It doesn't really have any limbs. Or a face. It's got a bit of a head, but not really a face. So Pasquino is named after a tailor who lived in this area, who famously was always coming up with really interesting, funny insults about the most important people in power at the time. This was in the 1500s. And after he died, this statue happened to be found around the same period. This is supposedly, nobody really knows for sure, but this is supposedly an ancient Greek original work that decorated that ancient stadium I was telling you about, the stadium of Domitian where Piazza Navona now is. And some people say it's the statue of Menelaos, who was a Greek figure. We're not really sure. It was just discovered, unearthed, and like so many works of art back in those days, especially works that were damaged, highly damaged, they oftentimes just put them up against a wall or a street corner and just left them there. And they just stuck around. And that was the case for Pasquino. Eventually, as you can see, they built a little pedestal for him and all of that. But in around 1550, people started sticking little, first of all, they they put a toga on him or like a cloth to sort of look like a toga. And they started pinning little pithy remarks onto him as if he, and they called him Pasquino because there was still this live memory of this tailor who had done this during his life. But, you know, the tailor was gone. So they said, okay, here, this statue is going to take over for Pasquino. So they would stick these little comments onto it. And the idea was there was no freedom of speech at that time. There was no freedom of press. You couldn't just go and insult and criticize the Pope or the prefect of the city or whoever was, you know, making decisions and whoever was in charge. So you would need to do this anonymously. So this was a way that you could criticize the government anonymously or the church anonymously, but also have a pretty wide reach because people would constantly come by and look at it. A lot of people have compared Pasquino to the Renaissance's answer to Twitter. (laughs) <laughs> but the idea is, though, you, you really need needed to be clever. You had to come up with something really funny to make sure that it would last and it wouldn't get taken down. And so posterity has recorded a lot of the best Pasquinades. Pasquinade is the name of that piece of commentary taped to Pasquino. And the most famous, of course, is uh, the one that was put up there when Pope Urban VIII had Bernini take the bronze, there was some bronze decorating the Pantheon, and he had him take it down. I mean, we're talking about ancient bronze that's been there since the time the Pantheon was built, and use it to build the Baldacchino, which is an enormous altar covering in St. Peter's. And what they said was, that I should tell you that Urban the, this doesn't make sense unless you know that Urban VIII's family name was Barberini. The Pasquinade was in Latin. It read, quad non facerunt barbari, facerunt barbarini, which means what the barbarians didn't do, the barbarini did. Mm. (laughs) In destroying ancient temples and ancient works in Rome. Uh, So there's, there's dozens and dozens and probably hundreds of Pasquinades that have survived history. That's just probably the most famous one. But yeah, so you can't pass by Pasquino without at least taking a look and seeing what's on there. They, they try not to let people post the notices directly onto the pedestal of the statue anymore, but people still do it. Yeah. Would you ever do it? Uh, I don't feel like I'm Roman enough, <laughs> if that makes sense. Uh, usually they're written in either Roman dialect. Sometimes they're still even written in Latin. They usually rhyme. They're usually very clever. First of all, I don't know that I understand Italian politics 
uh, well enough to be able to make an accurate or biting enough comment. And secondly, I don't, I just don't think I could, I could make it sound good enough. Fair enough. Well, where should we go now? Well, let's uh, let's head straight for Campo dei Fiori. We can pick up something to eat there on our way through town. Yeah. So Campo dei Fiori is not far. Should we unfold these wings that people don't know that we have and we'll just fly over there? Or we could just hop on our little segways (laughs) (laughs) that we have parked right here. (laughs) (laughs) That we just happen to have. All right. So here we are, Campo di Fiore, one of the loudest places in Rome, in my opinion. Well, I always tell people it's the piazza that doesn't sleep. Literally, it's a 24-hour square because there's a market early in the morning. And of course, the market sellers have to show up a couple hours early to get everything set up. So the market here goes on until about 3 p.m. Then they start breaking it down. They start. It takes ages, too, for them to break it down. It's not until about 6 p.m. that everybody's gone. 5, 6 p.m. It takes a while to get it cleaned up. All the garbage trucks come in and the street supers and they get all the stuff cleared out just in time for aperitivo hour. So that's my favorite time to be in Campo de Fiore because I love to sit in the square and just enjoy the people watching during aperitivo. There are some restaurants here as well for dinner, although I think it's more fun at aperitivo time. After dinner, it really becomes a meat market. So I always say it's a vegetable market in the morning. It's a meat market at night because there's a lot of bars (laughs) where like the young students particularly like the foreign students will go so there's always people in the evening here drinking being rowdy hooking up flirting um it's very lively it's a it's a great place to be especially when you're a young person <clears throat> note to those of you who are traveling who are older i i remember one time an, an older woman i know happily telling me she was going to go to Rome. And I said, oh, good. Did you already figure out where you're going to stay? And she's like, oh, we got a place right on Campo di Fiori. Oh, jeez. Like, oh, great. You're not going to sleep. <laughs> you're going to have a wonderful time. Yeah. Don't stay on the piazza. You can stay nearby, but don't get a place on the piazza. Yeah, because that's the place everybody goes also when all of the other bars close. They just go straight because everybody's just standing around with their plastic cups and their beer bottles. And that'll go on until about three at least. Mm -hmm. And that's when the street sweepers come back to clean up the square again. Before we leave here, who is this standing in the midst of it all is this extremely grim hooded figure. It's a statue, obviously. It's not a real person. But (laughs) who in the world? It's Giordano Bruno. Giordano Bruno was a Dominican friar, but he was also a scientist, an astronomist, and a philosopher. He was way ahead of his time because he was living in the late 1500s. So we're talking pre-Galileo. I mean, Galileo was alive, but he hadn't yet made his pronouncements about the solar system and stuff. So Giordano Bruno believed in the heliocentric universe, but he also believed that there were infinite number of other suns with other planets around them and that those other planets most likely had life on them. So he kind of recognized that the sun, it's not just one sun, like every star. I mean, I don't know if he knew that every star was like a sun, but that's kind of what he put forward. It was not what the church wanted to hear, especially coming from a monk. And so he was declared a heretic. He went into hiding, and he did escape capture for a couple of years, but he eventually was captured and he was told to recant. He refused to do it. And 
he was burned at the stake on this very spot in Campo di Fiore in 1600. And I feel like the statue sort of carries the both the grandeur and the heaviness of that. The church eventually in the 20th century admitted that they were wrong, that Giordano Bruno had been right, and that's when the statue was erected in his honor to try to make amends posthumously. Too late for him. All right, well, where, how should we end this little tour? I feel like this is the thing with Rome. We could just go on and on and on and on. There's just endless things to see. It doesn't stop. Yeah. We could end here. This is a nice place to end, or we can end on Ponte Sisto. Let's go one more place. We have to lighten it up. We can't end with the death of Giordano Bruno. Well, if we go down this street, uh, it'll lead us straight to, we're just going to pass Piazza Farnese, which is another gorgeous piazza. But uh, let's just head down to Via Giulia, which is this beautiful, grand, straight street, so long and wide and straight for the time that it was built. Um, It was built by Pope Julius II, that's why it's called Via Giulia uh, in 1506, as another alternative route to get from that part of the city and Trastevere to get to the Vatican because it was always about, you know, how do we get people, how do we move people around during the whole year? Because there's so many pilgrims would come to the city and all you had were these tiny crooked little winding streets and there was so much human congestion that they would oftentimes build streets just for the purpose of getting people to the Vatican. Can we discuss really quickly this hideous fountain that's on via julia i know you like it i think you like it i know i think it's the ugliest <laughs> thing in the city i know you hate it i know you and derek hate it it's the face of a man who's spewing water from his mouth but because it's hot the water tends to just turn to algae so it just looks like a person who's throwing up on their chin is what it looks <laughs> like it's true generally speaking <laughs> it's it's called a mascherone fountain because it looks like a big mask it was a drain cover a lot of times in ancient rome they would create very decorative drain covers with the the face of a of a person and then they would have this big wide mouth where the water would go out that's what the bocca della verità is it's a very famous very large drain cover but yeah this is a fountain that they took the drain cover the mask the mascherone and turned it into a fountain and and Katie hates it i don't particularly love it but I don't hate it but yeah it's true he does kind of look like he's throwing up it's a little bit like a barfing jesus <laughs> cuz he has long hair and a beard <laughs> On the way to the church, look to your left and see the barfing Jesus. (laughs) Just kidding, just kidding. All right. So here we are at the end of Via Giulia. Let's just cross the street. Busy Lungo Tevere. Yes, this street is a menace for sure. And uh, and here we are on Ponte Sisto. Ponte Sisto connects Trastevere to the center of the city and it is a bridge that i used to take every day it's a footbridge so you can't drive across it and i'm sure you did as well when you lived in trastevere you're always crossing this bridge probably yes yep absolutely and your favorite accordion player is always there i can hear her now oh look there she is in her big wide brimmed hat yes bridge is great because i mean it's old this was built by pope sixtus the fourth uh in the 1480s and also as a way to help it was as an alternate crossing of the tiber there was only one place to cross the tiber up until the 1480s and that was the ponte sant'angelo 
all the other bridges had been at least partially destroyed or damaged. And so they built this bridge just in time for the holy year of 1500s. And you can actually see a great view of St. Peter's from this bridge. And you know, there's always people here. It's, it's like Campo Fiori in that it's always full of life and there's always people around here, musicians and young people meeting up. And to me, this is like my early years in Rome are really concentrated in this bridge because I crossed it so often and, and I just, I love it. Yeah, it is a bridge that seems like it's of beginnings and endings to me, even for me. Our last episode, the one we did when I was leaving Rome way back in the day, episode called Goodbye, yeah. way back in season one, it ends with us on this bridge. That's right. So it seems fitting that we end our virtual tour, walking tour of Rome, also standing on this bridge, leaving it behind for now, but not forever. We will be back. Well, thank you so much for that really fun tour it was fun to get out for a little while i really appreciate it oh it was my pleasure all the research all your knowledge i love taking people around rome always but especially in this part of the city just you know so full of so many treasures that i adore that it's really my pleasure and you should take note those of you listening if you're planning a trip to Italy when this is all over, whenever this is all over, Tiffany does give tours in person, walking tours of Rome in various lengths on various topics. For me, when I first moved to Rome, she took me on one of the tours along with her group of people. She let me kind of bomb their party. <laughs> and it really changed the way I moved around the city from there on out. Aww, because I felt like you. I understood so much more of what was going on than I ever would have if I was just wandering around hoping to glean information here and there. So it's a great opening way to get to know the city if you ever do get back there. Thanks for that, Katie. Yeah, and you can find, uh, there's information on how to get in touch with Tiffany on our website, thebittersweetlife.net, or at tiffany-parks.com. And until next time... Rome is waiting for you. It's the eternal city. At least we'll know where, if not when. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. Bye.